0: Welcome to the Battleground, Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the deputy director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. Welcome to another beautiful fall week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel all from home, which means Claire Zauke, the healthcare director here at Citizen Action is with us. Claire, good to have you.
1: Thank you, Matt. Good to be here.
0: And of course, we've got Robert Craig, the executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert, great to have you.
2: Welcome to our digital and our radio audience. It is great
0: to have everybody with us. We are deep now. We're deep into election season. It is, we record Thursday morning, and it is the 17th, which means absentee ballots are being mailed out, as many have already been mailed out. We'll talk more about all of the controversy around that with the Supreme Court this week in the decision. We'll talk more about that. We're also going to be joined later in the show by Citizen Action Co-op member Emily Berge. She is also running for state assembly up in the greater Eau Claire area in Senate District 68. We will talk with her later, but let's get started. We have got to talk about what's been going on with COVID-19 here in the state. Last week, we spent an extensive of the show talking about what was happening on the college campuses and how we essentially said, wow, what you know, this is what we expected to happen um, from our early conversations with um, educators. Uh, the Educators Union we had um, uh, Ben Ward on and, like, two months ago and warned of that. Our rates Our testing positive rates here in Wisconsin are now uh, in the running total, the latest uh, week or two running total. We're fourth highest in the country. Uh, We are spiking, the spikes continue on the UW campuses and other campuses, Marquette this week. Now we're also seeing in schools, uh, Washington, Ozaki, and a number of other places, Claire, wanted to kick to you as our healthcare director. This is obviously we're we're continuing to spike while we continue to, quite frankly, do very little actually um, to, to combat this. Claire?
1: Thanks, Matt. Uh, I agree that what is happening at schools and uh, that means both K-12 and universities is sort of the, the COVID story of the moment. And to illustrate this, I'll say that Um, As of a new story that I pulled on Wednesday, September 16th, Uh, our state DHS had reported more than 1300 new cases in six of the last seven days. And to sort of put that in context, I mean, I remember hitting sort of peak worried and scared mode when we had a spike a month or so ago that looked like we were approaching 1000. And now we're consistently more than 1300 cases every day. And um, a lot of those, most of those are coming from college towns and cities where um, these spikes would not be nearly as significant if there weren't, you know, sort of the influx of college students there. So, for example, the University of Wisconsin-Madison said that as of uh, Tuesday, the 15th, 2,160 W Madison students had tested positive, um, according to the the local health department. That's 7% of their entire undergraduate population. And, and of course, this isn't just happening in university schools either. Um, I mean, just this week, I saw a report that the washington Ozaki Public Health Department is investigating COVID cases at 16 K-12 schools in Ozaki County, including Kewaskum, Grafton, Cedarburg, Hartford, mequon Port Washington, Sockville, Slinger, Germantown, Northern Ozaki, and Cedar Grove Belgium school districts. So um, this is really, uh, really extensive. Um, And I have some more stats that I want to throw at you. But instead of me just doing that, I thought I would pitch it back to to you or Robert to see if you had a reaction first.
2: Look, the Wisconsin response and the national response to the pandemic has been worse than class, being outrageously bad. And of course, in Wisconsin, we're complicated by having a a Trump majority dominating the legislature and mucking things up and the state Supreme Court as well being uh, very Trumpy. Uh, with outrageous decision on the go- on the governor's uh, powers in, in a public emergency. So we're in a situation where this is happening. It's not in Milwaukee. Fascinating. There's not a huge spike in Milwaukee. It's still bad in Milwaukee as it is everywhere in the country, but it's not a huge spike. It's coming everywhere else where the in-person colleges are for the most part. Uh, with, uh, and so it's very disturbing because... I understand universities were in a tight financial situation and have been uh defunded uh, by the legislature for over a decade and therefore they in some ways they came back to in person learning because they they needed the tuition but now this is on them to fix they are in locus parente as it as the as the Latin phrase goes, and I think they need to lock these campuses down, close the bars in these towns, quite frankly. And the worst thing they could do is to wave the white flag and send them home. Because if you create this huge level of infection from younger people and send them back, you'll create a wave everywhere that'll affect a lot of much more vulnerable people. So aunts and uncles and grandparents and parents and their friends and relatives will be at great risk. And so this is because we don't we have it all starts with the incompetent national response, more than incompetent, willfully incompetent. We know that from the Bod Woodward book. Robert, Robert,
0: you got to talk more about that, too. And we got to I I do want you and Claire to comment on what the the, just the show that went on with the CDC director and Trump. Right. It goes on and on terms on this. This is crazy.
2: Dr. Redford, the head of the CDC, who has been no Anthony Fauci, but is a credentialed doctor, stood on his hind legs in a hearing yesterday and said that the masks are more important than the vaccine, and the vaccine, at best, won't be available to everyone until the second or third quarter of next year in the best case. And he was then refuted by the president, who said he was confused. And he would and, uh, and berated by the president and the president's now being advised by a Fox News quack doctor who believes in herd immunity. For those of you who know what that means, if you get enough people uh, infected, there's some level of immunity. It's the natural vaccine. But uh, to have herd immunity, we'd have to infect so many people that we'd need two million deaths. That's what they're promoting. And in fact, he keeps calling it, the president keeps calling it herd mentality. And I just want to point out, no, 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 that's your most loyal base supporters. That's not a, a virus response. I think this is really, really important,
0: what's happening at the federal level and how that's trickled down. Because it, it you then come where, I heard this morning, like Missouri, University of Missouri is going after all their students, finding them. It's just like, we're going to blame the students, as opposed to the fact that this is a complete failure of leadership from the federal government's failure. And you mentioned the Woodward book, right? Failure from the beginning to to respond uh, at all in any kind of coordinated way. And then how that's trickled down to the state where we've essentially, as you called it, I like that the Trump legislature uh, that essentially enforced Uh, their their will and dictates here in the state. So we have complete lack of leadership. So what's happening on the college campuses that Claire laid out is completely understandable, and it's going to only get worse uh, if we continue to have leadership at the top that says wearing
2: masks is uh, ridiculous. And Matt, at UW-Madison, 90% of the positive tastes are, 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 are symptomatic, that doesn't mean that's the case. That means they're not getting to the asymptomatic students, which is a 30, 40 percent of them, maybe more.
1: Uh, I was going to make a similar point here. And, and you know, I'm trying to make a, a conscious choice to be more gracious in my life. But I feel like this is a point where um, I do want to make the argument that um Yes, this is absolutely uh, the fault of our elected leaders and the president for not being bold and not looking out for people. But I also want to say that I am not willing to let people who behave irresponsibly at an individual level um, off the hook. And that includes, you know, local officials here in the state who are allowing bars and things to be open, but it also includes college students who are going to bars. And this is a situation where we all need to be in this together. And so I, I am not not willing to to let folks off the hook for um, their their dangerous behavior. We we need everybody um, to be taking responsibility for their actions, whether they are an elected official or a college student who really wants to go to a bar. And I I was thinking about this, and so I wanted to say one more thing to illustrate Robert's point. Robert said earlier, you said we are the sort of worst in class when it comes to a lot of things um, related related to this moment in COVID. And to say that you are not being hyperbolic, the New York Times puts out a really great national COVID tracker. And one of the pieces of their COVID tracker is where they mark the top 20 um, places in the country, metro areas in the country where cases are increasing the fastest. So these are sort of the hottest of the hot spots. Number one, number one is La Crosse, Wisconsin, that has had a, that has had just an insanely credible, incredible increase in the number of cases in the last few days. Number three is Whitewater. Um, again, college towns. Eight of the top ten in that twenty or top twenty of that list are Wisconsin college towns.
0: Claire, I hear you. On we all have a certain level of responsibility. I agree, but let's not forget, like. The university is putting them in classrooms together, right? Like, and, and so I know everyone right away jumps to bars and everything and assumes that it's like these extracurriculars that are definitely doing it. We do have to take responsibility as adults that we have a system that put them back in classrooms. I mean, that's the system, and for us to assume that none of this is because they were in classrooms or by extension in bookstores, in university student unions, and all of the other things that like students have to do to congregate in order to like function when you're going to class, right? Like, is I mean, there there is a certain level of responsibility here. Anyways, with that. I'm assuming we got to take a break. Uh, You're listening to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're talking about COVID-19. We're talking about the spreading that's going on here in Wisconsin that has us as one of the national leaders in the spread of it, Robert, we were having a conversation before. Claire raised a really good point about the role of individuals in this and that we all have a role to play in terms of stopping the spread beyond what's happening or not happening with our leaders. Wanted to give you an opportunity to talk more. And then, and, and Claire, uh, last word on this.
2: Look, I couldn't agree with Claire more. The problem is the only thing we have is people pulling together right and doing the right thing because of the lack of leadership and that the negative leadership it's not a lack it's not a leadership vacuum it's leadership in the wrong direction uh, and we know from public health research just in humans humans in all countries not just american humans that public health directives don't work unless there's a very consistent message not a conflicted message like we're getting because of the self-interest and the delusion of the not fact-based modern right wing of this country anti-science uh position that will do anything to advance themselves politically and cares not about consequences uh so we know when mixed messages happen just like they do with kids when parents are not on the same page the kids don't do the right thing okay it's just a fact so, we know it has bad consequences, and humans are going to act badly when they get these mixed messages. And in fact, you not only need clear messaging, you probably need consequences, right? Now, in all law enforcement, you don't actually punish all, the, all everyone. You don't have enough law enforcement. You, 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 you stigmatize something, create a norm, and then most people follow the norm. So, you probably would need to have some tickets for not wearing face masks. But we're in a situation where Governor Evers looks like. He doesn't want to take on the legislature in the Supreme Court, so if you let the mask mandate expire, from what I'm seeing, he's saying. Uh, but having said that, there is, and it comes from the modern American right again, this horrendous view, this bastardization of what liberty and freedom are. Look, the order of the Declaration of Independence's famous phrase, that you have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, is life first. Then liberty, then the pursuit of happiness. Because if you're not alive, you don't have liberty. And in fact, the ultimate thing that that way to take away liberty is to kill someone. And then, of course, if you don't have liberty, you can't pursue happiness. Okay. And we have this idea about freedom that they've created for their own purpose in order to enrich themselves. Because this is for billionaires. It's really what it's for. That it can your convenience and. Things you want to do, entertainment-wise or socially, that's your freedom, and it doesn't matter if it kills people. And that's just dead wrong, because in all legitimate philosophy, your freedom goes to the point where it infringes on someone else's freedom. For example, you don't have the freedom to pollute a river if if it poisons people, because that infringes on their freedom to clean water and to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness. So we've got to have an understanding that you're, and we had, uh, Claire, we had a situation in a Walmart in Florida where right-wing protesters went without their face masks screaming, take your face masks off, we're liberating you. And this all went viral on the right. Repulsive, these are mass murderers. And probably a half to two thirds, depending on what number you all look at of, of deaths, have been because of the bad response, not because there were a certain number of deaths that were going to happen because of a pandemic that were beyond our control, but it's that bad of the nearly 200,000. We're almost to that mark. And in addition, we're talking about, according to some of the models, over 400,000 deaths by the end of the year. So we're going to have those deaths, uh, that blood on the hands of our leaders, but all the people who who did not do the right thing, as Claire mentioned as well.
1: Uh, yeah, and that would I mean that was a rousing uh, <laughs> speech. So I don't think that I have too much more um, to sort of add to the um, you know political philosophical angle that you just laid out. Um, but something that I was thinking about as you were talking is that you're right. We there does need to be a sort of cultural shift in order for um, people to change their behavior. And uh, when I was thinking, while you were talking, it reminded me of sort of the bar culture and the drinking culture that exists in Wisconsin. And it is hard to talk about because it is such a big part of our culture and our heritage here in the state, right? Um, When you, you know, you think about, uh, you know, German and and Swiss and um, Northern European immigrants who brought their beer culture with them. I enjoy beer, Um, right? Um, it, It is, it is hard to talk about, but there it is such a big part of our culture and our community and it's one of the reasons why it's probably hard for people and and not just college kids here but just in general people in this state to to refrain from going to bars and going to restaurants and um it it because it is part of our culture and and if if that is part of our culture then we need to establish sort of this this you know parallel culture that says it's okay and we will support you as a society if you if you don't do that, because those things will still be there when we come back. And we it, just have to right. be comfortable talking about that publicly.
2: Claire, it's okay to drink safely, right? Even if there's no pandemic, it's not okay to kill people driving back from the bar, right? Or to do something like abuse someone because you're drunk, right? And it's the same thing. If there's there's no way to drink safely inside a bar during a pandemic, you can't do it. But- we're not closing down the bars, are we? Because exactly. at every level, we're not doing enough. We're not doing the right thing. We're not making the ethical decision, which is about protecting life. Life is fundamental folks. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Claire, I'm, I'm also glad that you brought, you didn't just say like young people in the bars. Cause right. This is culturally, it runs deep and it runs through the generations. I remember the first wave of, as I call it, blame the young people uh, earlier this summer when uh, people started opening up, and it was all the young people at the beaches and bars and I remember i was I was in a Facebook argument with someone like going it 's not just the young people and I needed to get cash in Cecil, Wisconsin and I went into a bar and there it was ten forty five a m and it was packed with people over fifty smoking, no masks. And that's the culture, right, that you were talking about. And so it's not just young people. And so your call for individual responsibility and broadening it to, like, creating a culture where that is valued and protecting people is well-spoken. Claire, I want to, uh, before we start talking about politics, give you an opportunity to talk about This important survey that was released that um, had important information about the uninsured rate here in Wisconsin, because this is all connected, right, as you're trying to respond effectively to a pandemic, uh, people's lack of access to not only health care, but number of people have health care, health care that they actually know will pay the cost. So, Claire, tell us about this uh, new research. It's important.
1: Yeah, so um, this is part of the American Community Survey that the U.S. Census puts out every year, and uh, this is one of the most highly regarded um, surveys of the American people that asks about all parts of their life. yeah, it is sort of the gold standard for community surveys in the country and um, unfortunately because it is such a massive endeavor, we tend to get the previous year's uh, results in September. So. This past week, they, uh, being the US Census Bureau, um, just released the 2019 results. So unfortunately, this is pre-pandemic data, but it shows you that, you know, we as a country went into this pandemic at a sort of a point of weakness in comparison to previous years. And so I think it's good to set that context, and now I can tell you more things. So. Um, this shows that the rate of uninsured people in this country increased um, again in 2019 over the previous years, um, continuing a trend in which it has done that every year since 2016. So every year since Trump has been elected, um, more people have been uninsured. So um, overall in 2019, 9.2% of Americans, which is 29.6 million people, were uninsured. And that's compared to 8.9% or 28.6 million in 2018. So overall, this means that since 2016, 2.3 million more people were uninsured. 720,000 of those were children. And so this is something that we've talked about in the past, about you know, Trump having big claims on health care, but really all that he's doing is making health care out of reach and unaffordable for more and more people, and you know, disgustingly, um, especially for, for children. So um, I, I really I thought it was important to highlight specifically those data pieces. I'll pitch it to Robert for a reaction before break.
2: We've been in the situation since the ACA passed and the Republicans, conservatives took control of Congress. There's been an attempt to sabotage the ACA that's been ongoing. Look, they lost the 2018 elections trying to trying to actually repeal it, found out public didn't actually want health care to be taken away from 30 million people. But it, it, we have that Supreme Court challenge where they're trying to throw out the ACA, but at the same time, the Trump administration has been sabotaging it in every possible way. And in addition, the one the reason we need an ACA is because the, uh, our, for people who are under 65 who aren't fortunate enough to be on Medicare, uh, our primary insurer is, is, based, is tied to employment. And as a result, that system's been fraying and it's becoming more expensive. And what we're not even talking about, the fact that a lot of people aren't using their insurance because it's not even insurance anymore because the copays and deductibles are unaffordable for folks. And so you add it all up, we have a, a healthcare disaster. It's why healthcare is still the top issue.
0: And with that, we have got to take a break here. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. After the break, we're going to talk more about elections here in the state absentee ballots are going out we are also going to talk about all the GOP shenanigans around the Green Party and the decision that the court brought down this week we'll talk to you after the break welcome back to the battleground wisconsin we're citizen action you can find us at citizenactionwi.org and we want to encourage you to join The citizen action co-ops. But before we get into a guest, we're going to have next segment, which is Emily Berge, who's running for state assembly in District 68. We'll learn more about her effort. Robert, I want to get your thoughts on the big news this week, politically here, our state Supreme Court. And Justice Hagedorn, Justice Hagedorn, helps cast the vote with the liberals in the, on the court and says, nope, Green Party, you got to follow the rules. That's not it. They kick Green Party off, says this is obviously very political, and sides with the liberals. And so absentee ballots are going out. Robert, your thoughts on this? And it is also should be stated that the Republican Party was clearly connected to this and its lawyers. Robert, your thoughts on the shenanigans
2: Yeah, I'm not ready to say Justice Hagedorn has become David Souter or one of the conservative appointees who became a liberal. And as a gay man, I was very concerned and was involved in press conferences about his campaign because he had a horrendous record of trying to drum LGBT people out of private schools, for example, just for being gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgendered. And, but. He seems to be so far, because this is, there have been multiple decisions like this, the last principled conservative left in Wisconsin, because there's no legal basis for having a big delay in an election that would disenfranchise hundreds of thousands of people by reprinting ballots and holding up the the, 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 the sending out of mail ballots uh, in, in a pandemic where we're already Trying to make a, a vote by mail system not designed for this work because of legislative sabotage here in the and and in the, in Washington D.C. and what's scary is and this is appropriate given that I know that um, Justice Hagedorn is a deeply religious man, but by the grace of God, that almost happened. We were almost ground zero again for a crisis in Wisconsin where the, ballot, where the whole election was being thrown in the air, where 75% of Democrats plan to vote by mail and Donald Trump doesn't want vote by mail to work. They were willing to do that for a, for a party. I'm not saying that it, that Green Party doesn't have a right to access, but not this late in the process, uh, because you can't take away everyone else's right to vote to do that, to get ballot access. and The Republicans were involved in the lawsuit. So just like there were rumors, and maybe, I don't know all the facts, but there were claims the Green Party last cycle uh, was taking money from the other side uh, in some degree. But in this case, uh, a Republican member of the state election commission set up the legal, uh, the lawyers to make this challenge. And then the three non-justice politicians in robes judges, including, Patience Rogensack, the chief justice, were willing to go along with that. And Hagedorn, again, showed principle and uh, actually uh, looked at the the consequence of doing it. So uh, bravo to him. I'll probably hate some of his decisions down the line. Uh, But in this case, and I hope any progressive justice is also principled this way. This is what we should expect in judges, regardless of their ideology.
0: Claire, any thoughts?
1: That, That was great. Uh, I'll just add that I'm looking forward to getting my ballot in the mail. I almost said mallet in the mail. mail. (laughs) So that I can fill it out and send it back and or put it in a drop box. And I hope everybody listening is as excited as I am to do the same.
0: So Claire, you bring up the great point. Today is the 17th, which is the legally statutory obligated day to have the absentee ballots out and get them mailed out. And so any of you, And there's a million plus of you who have already asked for an absentee ballot. Let that soak in. A million plus have already asked for an absentee ballot. So those are going into the mail because of what Robert talked about, right? We were able to get the Supreme Court to decide this week. And so look for those and also want to encourage people to get your absentee ballot requests in now. What we talked about at the beginning of the show, COVID-19, it does not appear like it is waning and that it may actually only be intensifying. And so please, it is important. Uh, Your constitutional right to vote uh, comes in conflict with your health. So please, request an absentee ballot. Robert.
2: Yeah, one thing, I violated one of my rules. So quickly to add, I think it's important to look at who's behind the curtain, the Wizard of Oz, not always to blame the Wicked Witch of the East, to continue my Wizard of Oz metaphor. Remember, Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce, the Koch brothers, the whole right wing infrastructure elected Justice Hagedorn on the assumption he would have voted to do this. And they're up in arms that he didn't do it. And so understand that the people really behind this are not the tools on the Supreme Court, like the Chief Justice, they're the people who have run this whole campaign for decades to take over the supreme court's right-wing ideologues and in this case they made a mistake and scott walker was a big part of this uh, as well they made a mistake on him it turns out he has principles but they didn't try to make that mistake they wanted to, they would have loved if he disrupted the whole wisconsin election in order to flip the state to donald trump and disenfranchise hundreds of thousands of people well robert
0: these are the same folks who are behind our state legislature and the powers in the state legislature. And I wanted to talk and set up before we talk with uh, our co-op member, citizen action co-op member, Emily Berge, um, that, which she is running, you know, clearly in a gerrymandered district, um, that we have these really, really important state legislative races coming up and uh, there is real opportunity in a number of the state assembly seats in particular for Democratic candidates to overcome gerrymanders. Uh, and uh, this week, uh, WISPolitics uh, did a Q and a with uh, Leader Voss and hints on the Democratic side And Voss pretty much admitted that, like, this idea that they were going to pick up three seats and get a supermajority is pretty much out the window for them. Um, And if anything, uh, there were at least five districts thrown out there of Democratic pickups by hints that, like, I'll just say I concur wholeheartedly with them. Claire, any thoughts? I mean, huge opportunity. And by the way, um, these are in areas where in the past, Republicans used to win by 20 points in some of these suburban and some rural areas. Uh, Claire, your thoughts on the opportunity here in the state legislature?
1: There's certainly tremendous, great opportunity, and I'm glad that this opportunity if it pans out, knock on wood, um, is happening in a year when the legislature will be deciding redistricting so that hopefully we can um, get back to having appropriately and fairly competitive seats and not just um, you know totally one-sided for, for one party or the other. Um, But I, yeah, I think that there are absolutely a great number of races in the state legislature right now that are competitive, and we've been lucky to have a number of those candidates on our show. Um, I think especially about um, you know, seats it like uh, in the Milwaukee suburbs, which I'm more familiar with, like Sarah Rodriguez's seat that she's running for in the sort of um, eastern Waukesha, western Milwaukee area. I think about some of the North Shore of Milwaukee County. Um, like where uh, Emily Segrist is running. Uh, I think that those are, are absolutely seats that we are appropriately focused on and that our members, uh, citizen action members and community members should be focused on working in. I'm glad
0: work. you mentioned Sarah Rodriguez. She will join us next week. And so will Deb and on the podcast to talk more about their seats. Robert, your thoughts on the legislature?
2: Well, yes, there are a huge number of opportunities and there's actually an underinvestment right now. So we need people power. Citizen action is way more focused on the assembly than the big money types that move in the Democratic Party circles. Now, this is very common in a presidential, but I think in this case, we're leaving an opportunity on the table. But think about the enormous—we're not. I think we can win these races. Citizen action, our members across the state are all in, but I'm just saying we need all the help we can get, so come and volunteer. But I would just say this. Let's pause a little about the enormity of this situation. This is a battleground state. This is a 50-50 state, right? In the last election, Assembly Democrats got 54% to Republican 46, okay, in terms of popular vote. And Robin Voss and the Republican Party, the modern right-wing version, thinks it's perfectly fine to get supermajority and that that's reasonable with these gerrymandered maps. Think about the ethics of it. We should not start calling out, stop calling out how illegitimate the current legislature is. It doesn't represent the true feelings and opinions of Wisconsinites and that they want to make it worse so that they can then go and gerrymander the state another 10 years. And by the way, this is their plan A. Their plan B is to go to the state Supreme Court and have them overrule decades of precedent and let them do it anyway. And that's why you need to be part of Citizen National Wisconsin, one of our organizing co-ops, because frankly, we're going to need a huge push And our good government allies who are out there up front on the the policy and doing a great job in the media, uh, most of those groups don't have a big base. We do. We have members all over the state, and we're going to have to have uh, massive uh, civil action against their attempt to go around Governor Evers and literally rig the state for another 10 years so that they can do whatever they want, which is take our money and give it to the wealthiest Wisconsinites.
0: Well, and with that, we have to take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk with one of those exciting candidates running for state assembly, Emily Berge. We'll be right back. You're listening to Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are really happy to have a special guest with us. It is a co-op member. So we're always thrilled when we have co-op members on It is Emily Berge. She is running for state assembly in the Eau Claire area, Altoona area. It's District 68. Emily, thanks so much for joining us.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: Well, you are. Last week, we had uh, a couple of candidates running in farther western Wisconsin, and we are really thrilled to have you on because we're excited about your campaign. It's super energized. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and why you decided to run for the State Assembly.
3: Sure, yes. Um, yeah, I'm Emily Berge, and I'm running for the 68th Assembly, as you said, so thanks for that intro. I always like to start off my spiel by kind of outlining what the 68th entails. Um, I always usually quiz my, if I'm out and about, like, do you, you know, I would. I tell people, I'll be impressed if you know, because it's kind of, it's a big district. And it actually includes five different counties. So, um, but it it includes, uh, so where I am, North Eau Claire, then Lake Halley, Lafayette, and then along 29 to uh, Thorpe Stanley, all the way to Greenwood, where I was last night. It took me an hour to get there. So it takes about an hour from District End to District End. Um, And then it goes down to Fall Creek, Augusta, along Highway 10, Osceola Fairchild, and then back up to... uh, Altoona, Seymour area, and then Eau Claire. So it's basically when you think of Wisconsin and beautiful Wisconsin, that's the 68th. I mean, it's just gorgeous with the rolling green hills and the cows and it's amazing.
0: Just listening to that though, it sounds like what we all know, a gerrymandered district. Uh, It sounds like it's been created in a way. So uh, could you talk more about that and 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 your race that's it's very interesting to hear the spread an hour that's crazy
3: yeah yeah um definitely gerrymandering i mean they cut out when they redo the lines they cut out um you know kadat they cut out neil's bill so you can see you know the puzzle piece right or they cut out those city centers that would make something more blue so yeah, it's definitely a problem. And I, I bring that up when I'm talking about my campaign that if you want fair maps for the next ten years, you need to vote for people this year who will believe in fair maps. Because my opponent, he well, he thinks that the maps are already fair and it's it's just fine the way it is. So if you don't think that's true and um you should vote for someone that wants nonpartisan redistricting. Because I don't think it should favor either or. It shouldn't favor Democrat or Republican. It should just be should favor the people.
0: Tell us more about yourself. I did interrupt you. I apologize.
3: So a little bit about me and my little bio is I, so I'm married with two children on the north side of Eau Claire is where I live. I, my day job, I'm a mental health uh, counselor, LPC, licensed professional counselor. And I've been in private practice for about eight, seven, eight years now. But <clears throat> I've worked in lots of different areas, schools. I worked in the ER doing site consult a behavioral health unit, uh, worked with organizations to help uh, with their employees as well. And uh, yeah, now I'm doing outpatient counseling in my office. So I really enjoy that. I also serve on the Eau Claire City Council and I represent the north side of Eau Claire um, on council, which I also really like. I kind of talk about how my work as a counselor, you know, I, I I obviously enjoy helping people and I've worked with people more on the individual level. And then being on council, I've really helped people on the community-wide level. And that kind of goes into why I'm running for state level is I wanna help people now on the statewide level in the 68th district. So it's just kind of moving my my uh, my circle of helping people and bringing people together and getting things done. So yeah, I don't know if I, um, why I'm running is, is really about that, bringing people together and getting things done. I'm, been frustrated at the statewide level that people are more concerned, it seems, about sowing division and pointing fingers and blaming and just this political bickering. Where, um, coming from a non or a local government, nonpartisan um, area, like I know, like there's no partisan potholes, right? Like you just have to get the work done, and that's, and that's what I like to do. So I feel like we need that energy and that commitment
1: for solutions at the statewide level. So. Thanks, Emily. Um, I was really intrigued by um, your background as a uh, health official, a health worker. So I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about what are your um, health care priorities um, or maybe what do you see and hear in your district are what people need to be happening um, in Madison legislatively that you want to champion as they relate to health and health care?
3: Mm-hmm. That's a great, great question. You know, and as I'm going through the 68th, you know, healthcare, you know, education, healthcare are like two things that always pop up, whether I'm in Thorpe or Fairchild. And then I'm always following up with, you know, mental health care. Um, I think it's really when we talk about healthcare, care, comma, mental health care. And I'm saying that all the time because I think that's really important because those two are very interrelated. And I see that all the time in my work in health in mental health care, being a counselor. And I think it comes to accessibility and affordability, Um, especially, you know, the 68th is mostly rural, you know, and um, people have a hard time finding health, mental health care um, in these rural, they have to come to Eau Claire a lot because they don't have local providers. So I think we need more accessibility. We need more affordability. If you don't have insurance, um, counseling is really expensive and there's resources out there, but it's hard to find. it's really hard to navigate those resources when you are depressed or you're having panic attacks or you're going through a trauma or divorce. So it needs to be easy for people to seek help.
2: Let me ask you a quick follow-up on that, Emily. And that is, you know, it's in the Affordable Care Act and there's been a vision for a long time to have mental health parity. And that sounds like a technical term, but what it means is we invest and treat mental health as much as we do physical health. And it feels to me like we're still very far away from that, that people, particularly during this pandemic, which is added to already underlying in, uh, a crisis mental health in this country dramatically, there's new very scary numbers out there recently, uh, that we're not really creating guaranteed access to mental health and it's destroying people's lives. You can't pursue happiness if you're not if you if you're not able to achieve mental balance, right? And, it, mm-hmm. and 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 we lose loved ones that way all the time. There's a huge number of people considering suicide right now. Uh, scary numbers on that. I'm sure you know more about it than I do, but just from what I've seen.
3: Yeah, yeah. I remember when that parity law came through, and you know it was good news at the time. But you're right. There's still discrepancies there, and I think it comes down to um, access. Like, so many insurance have to cover you know, mental health, same as physical health, but there's no providers locally, you know, or you need insurance still. (laughs) Like there's still so many people that don't have insurance, whether they are in, you know, like they don't, they've been laid off or they want to start a small business. They're, they're a farmer. You know, so it's great. Insurance can cover, but if you don't have insurance, then that doesn't really solve the problem. But you're spot
2: on. yeah. Or, or they can't hold a job down because of their mental health issue. So they don't have health insurance, but they can't address that so they can hold a job down because they don't have access to health care because they don't have a job. So you get a vicious circle. It's why health needs to be a right at all health care. The mind is more important than the body in terms of health, really, because a lot of physical conditions, as you know, come from mental conditions.
0: Yep. So, so, Emily, we've heard a lot, a lot from a number of our members. They're very excited about your campaign. They feel that you have what it takes to overcome uh, the Republicans' effort at gerrymander. And there's a number of exciting candidates around the state that have this possibility. Let our listeners know, a lot of them in your area, how they can help you out uh, and how they can get involved in your campaign.
3: Well, thanks. Yes. And I, and I sense the excitement. It's, it's great to feel. That's very energizing for me as a candidate. So it's good. Um, well, we need, and COVID, of course, is making things more difficult, but we just have to be more creative and problem solve even more. So, which I like to do. So it's okay. But, so, but phone banking is a big thing. You know, direct voter contact is number one. So talking to people. So through the phones, we're doing uh, lit drops, So not not door knocking, and then we're following up with phone calls, and that's been going really well. Um, Those are probably the two biggest things um, that we we could use help with, just that direct voter contact. And if you go to my website, www.voteforbergie.com, and that's the number four, and then my last name, B-E-R-G-E, so it's voteforberge.com you can, there's ways, there's a link to volunteer, uh, to donate, to learn more about me and why I'm running and my endorsements, which is citizen action. So, um, yay.
0: (laughs) All right. Woo. All right. Well, we just want to thank you so much for running, for being a member, for being a leader in your community and stepping up and running and actually showing people that we can win. We can win in these races in spite of their efforts. Uh, Thank you so much uh, for joining us today.
3: Thank you. Thanks
0: for having me. Oh, it's been great. And we will put uh, that contact info on our website. So feel free, please get involved. And by the way, you can do that anywhere around the state. You can help make those calls. Uh, so with that though, we have got to wrap up this battleground, Wisconsin. We thank Emily for joining us and we thank our producer, Brian Wildrich, who makes the show happen every week. We'll see you next week at the battleground, Wisconsin.